0: Uh, well, we are taking some time this month uh, to look at uh, what it might look like uh, to live God's dream for my life, and that that will look different for each and every one of us for sure. But there's some principles that apply uh, across the board, and, and our challenge is to uh, to to lean into that and say, God, I, I really don't want to settle uh, for my dream, uh, but, but I want to live Your dream uh, for my life. And a part of of uh, learning to live uh, God's dream for our life is learning to say no to temptation. And maybe you can identify with the, the statement of Oscar Wilde. He said, I can resist anything but temptation, right? <laughs> and I know that maybe when we first look at that, it brings a little smile to our face because maybe, maybe we think a big slice of chocolate cake or, or something like that. You know, there's things that I just find so hard to resist. But, but I, I want you to think a little deeper than that. Sometimes in our culture, temptation has been reduced to uh, just being a little bit naughty uh, or just being a little bit impish or whatever it may be. But when we look at it from a a scriptural point of view, uh, that temptation and when it's it's bit into uh, from our behalf is a destroyer. It's a destroyer of lives, it's a destroyer of families, it's a destroyer of, of hopes and dreams and futures. And while God's dream for our life is not just about us, but about lives who will be impacted by that, leaning into temptation is not just about us, but also by the lives that will be negatively impacted by that. And that's why, as we learn from Joseph and principles of Scripture we, we want to learn to say no to temptation because nothing will derail God's dream for my life more quickly than giving in to temptation. It's not just about being a little bit naughty or a little bit impish, but it's about destruction. It's about death of dreams. It's about that which we derail God's best in our life. In fact, it is Oscar Wilde not only made that uh, little quip about being able to resist anything but temptation, but toward the end of his life, after a consistent pattern of not resisting temptation, he concluded with some of these observations about his life. I let myself be lured into long spells of senseless and sensual ease, tired of being on the heights. I deliberately went into the depths in search of new sensations. What a paradox was to me in the sphere of thought, perversity became to me. In the sphere of passion, I grew careless of the lives of others. I took pleasure where it pleased me and passed on. I forgot that every action of the common day makes or unmakes character. And that therefore, what one has done in secret chamber, one has someday day. To cry aloud from the housetop sounds remarkably like the teachings of Jesus does. He concluded, I allowed pleasure to dominate me. I ended up in horrible disgrace. The movement toward fulfilling God's dream for our life is one step of obedience at a time. One step of faithfulness followed by another, followed by another, followed by another, continuing to walk toward God's dream. The road of disobedience is similar. It's usually one step at a time. It's not usually just one big explosion, but there have been steps and steps and steps and steps that ultimately lead to a big explosion. We want to learn from Joseph. We want to learn from Scripture today uh, a better way. A a way to, to move beyond temptation to fulfill God's dream for our life. So let's start with maybe an understanding. Let's describe temptation this way. Temptation is an outward solicitation to evil that touches an inner propensity to do wrong. Now, I know that's kind of a mouthful there, right? Uh, but, but stick with me for a moment. It's an outward solicitation, so it's something kind uh, of outside of us that connects with something inside of us, that, that sin principle, that, that principle of flesh that still exists in us in this, in this unredeemed body. And there is this, this connection between the two. James in chapter 1 kind of describes it this way. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. It's almost the picture of of someone fishing and they bait the hook. And they bait the hook and there's this hunger on the inside of the fish that recognizes this food on the outside. It's a legitimate hunger. And as they chomp down, they don't recognize the hook that's inside. Very often when temptation comes to us, it's an invitation to meet a legitimate need, a legitimate hunger, an illegitimate way. And what we don't see is the hook inside. The enemy baits the hook well. He never tells us about the hook until he has us on it. Temptation is an outward solicitation to evil. It can come in a lot of ways. But it touches an inner propensity to do wrong. There is another way to live. So let me make just uh, uh, three quick statements about temptation, some observations about how it comes to us, and then I want to dig into the meat of the message where we're going to look at the example of Joseph and other principles of Scripture as to kind of how to say no to temptation. The, uh, the, The quick statements are this. Number one, temptation itself is not a sin. And I want you to hear that clearly because sometimes we feel guilty for being tempted, right? Uh, Being tempted is not sin. In fact, the scripture tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, but yet he was without sin. Uh, We we find in Matthew 4 and other places the temptations of Jesus. So temptation itself is not a sin. Uh, The the enemy, if he can't get you on the hook, he'll, he'll, he'll try to make you feel guilty and Defeated for looking at it, right? Uh, Temptation itself is not a sin. Secondly, sin is not the result of conditions sometimes we want to blame our conditions well it's because of the situation i was in it's because of this person it was because of the pressure i was under it's because i didn't have enough support it's because of uh, of this there was just no way out everybody else was doing it or whatever it might be sin is not the result of conditions because if you go back to the opening chapters of genesis adam and eve are in the perfect environment and yet they choose to sin jesus Living into a sin scarred world, became the focused target of the enemy with very specific temptations, even clouded in religious language, and yet without sin. Sin is not a result of conditions. Thirdly, sin is the result of choices choices that reveal our character. They reveal our character. In the end, sin is not about a temptation. It's not about the circumstances. It's ultimately about the choices we make in, in, in light of temptation. How does that temptation come to us? Well, a variety of ways for sure, but I think we can categorize them in maybe three large categories. The first is what we see. What we see. And you see that even in this episode uh, recorded in Genesis chapter 39 with Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Remember the scene, Joseph has been betrayed by his brothers, he's been sold into slavery, he's been purchased by this uh, Egyptian official, uh, Potiphar puts him to work in his, in his uh, home, uh, but actually the Lord who is with Joseph uh, is blessing him for six cells, so he left all that he had, Potiphar, he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he He had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And then verse 7. After a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. The temptation comes very often through what we see. So that Adam and Eve, they see the forbidden fruit. In Genesis 13, Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld. The land that would put him smack dab in the the pathway of unrighteousness. Joshua 7, 21, Achan saw this plunder and and felt like he ought to get his share. And perhaps one of the more famous episodes in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel 11, 2, David on the rooftop through his eyes, he sees Bathsheba. And so what we begin to understand is that so often temptation comes to us. Sometimes we talk about the eye gate and the ear gate. And one of the things I just need to to be aware of is, what am I seeing? What am I allowing into my brain through my eyes and through my ears? What 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 am I taking in along the way? Are there some things that I just need to say, I'm not going there, I'm not going to look at that, I'm not going to spend time with that, I'm not going to hang around those type of conversations because of what it does in my life along the way. And so we begin to understand that temptation very often comes, comes to us uh, through what we see or what we hear, our eye and the ear gate, but also through what we feel. Through what we feel and and our the, our emotions sometimes become the the lead and in, in the train and that's oftentimes a dangerous thing. Uh, maybe we feel envious of somebody else and then sometimes there's a connection. Right, I see this picture on social media and I begin to say, well, why do they have so much of a better life and why don't they have the problems I have? Or sometimes it's it, we feel depressed or we feel angry or we feel disappointed and and, and these become kind of a gateway for the enemy to to. To dangle uh, something in front of us, and, and our feelings sometimes can begin to drive a behavior that derails God's dream for our life. But there's a third way that temptation comes to us, and that's through what we think, through what we think. And these aren't mutually exclusive. You can see how easily they begin to, to, to fit together, uh, but very often it's about, about our thought life, about the things that we are thinking about and, and focusing on along the way. And it may be something, as you think about Joseph's case in particular, or Potiphar's wife, could be those thoughts like, you know, my spouse just doesn't meet my needs like you could. Or the whisper of, if you really cared for me, you'd prove it in this way. Who's ever going to find out? We're completely alone. Everybody else is doing this. God understands. Why else would he have brought us together? Just just this once. It'll never, 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 never happen again. They're, They're a big company. They rip people off all the time. They're not missed just this much. After all, we're under grace, and if grace doesn't cover something as normal and natural as this, then why, what does it cover, right? And we tell ourselves rational lies to rationalize our behavior, right? And so temptation comes to us through the eye gate, the ear gate. Sometimes the trigger point is our, our emotions, what we're feeling. Sometimes it's, a, it's our thought life, and that's why we have to continually come back uh, to the standard of God's word, to, to, to my thinking aligning with God's revealed truth along the way. So with all of, all of that in mind, how do I move beyond temptation to saying no? How do I keep uh, temptation from becoming sin as I bite down on it and derailing God's dream for my life and having a neg- negative impact on my life and the lives of other people? Well, I just want to give you a, a 10 quick thoughts, and we're going to kind of hit these in a, in a quick fashion here. And maybe some of them you're like, oh yeah, I know that, I know that. And, and it's just reminder, hopefully reaffirmation. Maybe there's one or two that you say, I, I haven't really thought about it that way before. But maybe just as you kind of sit before the Lord in these moments, just say, God, what do I need to hear specifically today? You know what's coming into my life. You know what the enemy is purposing. You know the, the temptations I'm going to be facing. What are, what are one or two of those strategies that I need to grab hold of, maybe a new and a fresher for the very first time? And make sure that I kind of have those on my tool belt. I have those at the arsenal. I have those at the ready to say no to temptation. And and the first uh, principle is just realize your vulnerability. It's to realize that you and I are absolutely vulnerable. 1 Corinthians 10 says, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. What we need to understand is that none of us ever gets beyond this. None of us ever grows to the point of such spiritual maturity while we're still living in a sin-scarred world, still living in unredeemed bodies, that we are now invulnerable to temptation. And we have to just be honest enough to admit that. The moment I think I'm beyond that, the moment I think it would never happen to me is the moment that I begin to set myself up for a derailment along the way. And so just to be honest enough, humble enough, to say it can happen to me. When we hear of something... Just crashing in somebody else's life. To have that response, not of judgment, but of to say, "There, but for the grace of God, go I." And to realize your vulnerability. Right? Chuck Swindoll says, "With greater success comes greater measures of trust, which, by the way, leads to greater times of unguarded vulnerability." Now, somebody needed to hear that this morning. Because as you experience success in your life, you have a track record of trust. And with that trust sometimes comes greater moments of unguarded vulnerability. And in those moments, we have to be especially diligent. Especially diligent. And we can all think of people who have reached levels of success, some of them very high profile, who had some high-profile crashes along the way. You know, sometimes as you increase in success and trust, you have greater times of unguarded vulnerability. Listen, I don't care how long you've been a follower of Christ, i, I, I don 't care how many times you 've read your bible don 't care how many times you 've taught the bible i don 't care if you 're a pastor, a deacon, a teacher, a small group leader uh, whatever it is i don 't care if you 're gifted as a singer or whatever it is we 're all vulnerable and so you realize your vulnerability and as you realize your vulnerability refuse to be intimidated. And I know that says, well, Jeff, it almost sounds, sounds like you're, you're saying the opposite, but they're actually parallel truths. That, yes, we have to admit, I am always vulnerable in this world, in this unredeemed body, but at the same time, I'm not going to live my life intimidated because I know a truth that, uh, that the Gospels tell us, that, that the follower, those first followers of Jesus tell us in John's letter, little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world that you and I if we are followers of Jesus Christ have been sealed with God's holy spirit the holy spirit dwells within us and that holy spirit within us is greater than any temptation in the world and so yes i'm vulnerable but i refuse to be intimidated i, I don't i don't want to share a message like this and have everybody walking out like scared to death and no be wise <laughs> <laughs> be watchful as we'll talk uh, but but refuse to be intimidated right? the enemy can't make you do anything in fact as as Paul wrote uh, you you are not on the law but under grace and therefore sin will have no dominion over you no dominion over you and so we don't have to live intimidated. Realize my vulnerability. I'm going to refuse to be intimidated. Thirdly, request God's help. As you face temptation, and, and we all do and we all will continually, just request God's help. I, I love this encouragement of Psalm fifty fifteen, And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. <laughs> One of the things that temptation does, it reminds me every single day that I am dependent upon God, that I never outgrow my dependency upon God. And so, but I have this incredible privilege of being able to call upon him in the face of temptation. When I begin to recognize it, I can call upon the one who said, I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. You might want to write in the margin Hebrews chapter 4. In Hebrews chapter 4, we're reminded that Jesus was tempted in every way that like we are, yet was without sin. And because of that, because of his life, because of his death, he is now our great high priest. And so he has given us access through that shed blood we were just singing about a few moments ago uh, to come before the throne of grace so that we may receive help, that we may find mercy in our time of need. And this, this gracious invitation to call on me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. God, I don't want to miss your dream for my life. I want to call upon you. Help me in this. Deliver me in the midst of this that I might bring honor and glory to you. And so you request God's help. Fourthly, resubmit your life to God. And by the way, when you call upon God's help, one of the first things that he may talk to you about is how is your life submitted to him? See, sometimes we want to use God instead of being used by God. And we want to call out to God and say, God, uh, God, fix this because this is making me feel guilty. Stop this because this is bothering me. Uh, but God's saying, well, I, I want to address that in your life. But there are other areas of your life that you are keeping a hold of, that you are keeping the rule and reign of. And until you release those areas fully to me, you're not going to experience the fullness of my help and my presence with you. That's why James said, and when it comes to temptation, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now the first sentence has to be in place before the second sentence will be operative. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Sometimes we want to say, well, I'm just going to resist the devil. If you haven't submitted yourself, and that's why it's a continual process, it's a daily process, it's a moment-by-moment process, but I fully submit myself to the rightful rule and reign of God in every area of my life, and the more I am submitted to God, the more he empowers me and enables me to resist the devil. But if I just call out to him without submitting to him, I'm not going to experience the fullness of his deliverance and the fullness of his power at work within me. And so I have to come to that point where I, I can say with Paul, I am not my own, for I have been bought with a price. Therefore, I am to glorify God in my body. And it comes when I just I realize I'm not my own. So God, I resubmit myself to you. I resubmit myself to your dream for my life. Fifthly, recognize your patterns of temptation and be prepared for it. Recognize the patterns of temptation and be prepared for it. We all tend to have patterns of temptation. and The scripture encourages us, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. Be watchful, Uh, watch yourself, watch the circumstances around you, Uh, be aware of the patterns in your life. Here's what I want to say, please understand, sometimes we we get into uh, this superiority uh, thing working, right, where we don't struggle with a particular temptation, and and so sometimes we can kind of sit in a little haughty judgment on somebody that does. We have different patterns of temptation uh, because of how God wired you. Because of your family of origin, because of experiences you've had in life along the way, and there's a lot of things that shape who we are and also help to shape where we are most vulnerable, where our patterns of temptation are going to be. And and maybe you don't particularly struggle with it. That doesn't mean that somebody does is inferior to you at all, because they may not struggle with something that you are. But the, the uniqueness of this is, God, what are my particular patterns? When do I kind of habitually find uh, the fighting to be the fierce? Is there certain environments? Are there certain times? Is it around certain people? Is it when I'm traveling for work, when I'm alone When I'm isolated? How about when I'm worn down? How about when I'm angry? How about when, when I feel like I haven't gotten the recognition I deserve or, or I haven't, haven't gotten the support that I deserve? Or it's when I'm scrolling through social media. Or it's when I have unguarded time on the internet. or What, what is it? What is it for you? Someone said that the, Satan doesn't have to come up with a lot of new strategies because the old ones are working just fine. <laughs> you know. and, and there are times that we think we're so different, right? We're not. You know, there, there's a commonality in us. Individuality, yes, but there's a commonality in us. And so there, there are these p- patterns along the way to recognize my patterns. But then I, I, I want you to also uh, understand the power of refocusing your attention on truth, to refocus your attention. On truth. So, so that as temptation comes, I, I, how am I going to recognize it's a lie? Well, I have to refocus my attention on the truth. And Joseph is, is a great example of that. So, so he refuses uh, this, these overtures of his master's uh, wife, and he, he, he speaks uh, to her. Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge, verse 9, and he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife, truth. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He refocused on the truth. I have been entrusted with his stewardship. I have been entrusted with levels of influence. I have moments of, of that I have a, a more, perhaps, vulnerability, but the truth is you're his wife. The truth is, if I engaged in this, it would not only be against him, it would be against you, but it would be against God. And he speaks truth to it. You have to come back and refocus your attention on the truth. We talked last week about counting the consequences of of what an action might be along the way. Jesus was was a great example of this when he was facing that intense temptation in the wilderness, Satan kind of putting that bullseye on him and twisting some scriptures, Jesus answered again and again and again and again with truth. One example, Matthew 4, 7, Jesus said to him, again, it is written, truth, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And there are times, and that's why I need to be acquainted with the truth. I need to be continually immersing my mind in the truth so that I can come back and refocus on the truth, refocus on the truth, and seventhly, seventh, I should say, uh, it, it just sometimes you just have to remove. You just remove yourself from the situation. Situation, right? Let's just keep following Joseph's uh, story as is recorded in chapter 39. Verse 10 As she spoke to Joseph day after day, isn't it funny? Temptation just doesn't ring once and then leave you alone. Uh, but it comes day after day after day, and it's like if I can't get you at first, I'm going to wear you down. Day after day, would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. But well, one day he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house. She called him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and he fled and got out of the house. Now let's pause right there. I call this the forest gump strategy, right? I mean, this is run, forest, run, right? I mean, there, there come those moments when, when the smartest thing to do, the wisest thing to do is to get out of that situation, to remove yourself from the situation. Paul taught exactly the same principle uh, to his uh, young son in the ministry, Timothy. He said, so flee youthful passions. There's a time when, when the smartest move, the, the, the bravest move, the holiest move is to flee, flee youthful passions. And somebody said, and don't leave a forwarding address, right? And, you know, sometimes we say, oh, I'm going over here if you want to find me. No, no, no. Now, get out of the situation. And so that may mean you shut down social media. That may mean you go find another job, or at least another department. That may mean you disassociate from a friendship. That may mean you take some radical measures. You haul the computer out in the middle of the family room. You put some, some technological safeguards on there so that other people see everything that you see, whatever it is. You just figure out a way. To remove yourself from the situation. Jesus knew the destructive power of sin. In fact, is at one point he taught with a, with a hyperbole, but it's this, this principle of dealing radically with sin. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell." Uh, Now uh, please understand, Jesus wasn't looking for a lot of folks uh, to follow Him without hands and feet and blind, right? Uh, But but he He was using that picture to make a point that there are times that you have to deal radically with sin that baby steps aren't enough that perhaps what somebody else could do in that situation isn't going to work for you. And because you have been paying attention, because you have been recognizing your patterns of temptation, you come to understand there are some times when you just have to deal radically with it. And somebody's going to call you crazy. Somebody's going to say you're legalistic. Somebody's going to say you're an old fuddy-duddy or whatever it may be. I don't know what the language is going to be. You're not with it. You're not progressive you're not whatever you say i may be true all those things may be true but i know myself and there are times when the wisest thing to do is to remove yourself from the situation let's look at three more another principle that can be so powerful in our lives is to reveal to reveal your struggle to a godly friend or a support group. I I call this getting it out of the darkness and drawing it into the light because when things move from the darkness to the light, they look different. When, when you drag them into the light, things begin to change along the way. When we invite others to come alongside us, when we don't just talk to God about it, but we also talk to some other people about it, uh, that it has an incredible power to kind of break that fascination, to, to cripple the power of that temptation in our life. Uh, that's why we're encouraged in so many ways this Ecclesiastes principle is true. Two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Hey, if you find an area where the pattern is, this is the wall I keep running into. This is where I keep tripping up. This is the battle that just seems so hard at times. And maybe it's time to enlist one of God's greatest gifts to you, the body of Christ. And that doesn't mean that, you know, come up here and let's, let's all take turns sharing our worst sins, right? now. But I find a man or a woman to walk with me. I find a handful of folks, maybe some folks that have struggled with exactly the same thing. And I invite them in. I reveal that struggle. I move it out of the darkness into the light. I think that's one of the powers of... Of, of groups like AA and NA and some others along the way, uh, the, and then different, different varieties of that. But it's a, that, that principle of you, you've got to remove yourself from some old patterns, but you also have to open yourself up even as you realize your vulnerability along the way. Reveal your struggle to a godly friend or support group. Number nine, resist the urge to be confused by the immediate results. This may be a huge one resist the urge to be confused by the immediate results let's go back to joseph he's doing the right thing right lie with me no lie with me no day after day no 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 right in hebrew in egyptian no 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 right till one day she just grabs the jacket and he flees he runs right and what does he get for that great faithfulness, right? Many of you are so familiar with the story. So she takes that jacket and she lifts it up in her hand and she calls to the men of the household and said, See, he, her husband, has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. Let's, let's get a little racial dig in there as well. Let's go ahead and, and, and caricature him since he won't do what I want him to do. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with his loud voice, and as soon as he heard it, he left his garment and fled. And then she laid up his garment by her until the master came home, I and mean, this is exhibit A in her persecution, right? And then She told him that the same story, saying, the Hebrew servant, whom you have brought among us, came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. And verse 19, as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled, in verse 20, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. Thank you, God. (laughs) Another example of no good deed goes unpunished. Day after day after day, do the right thing, and I get tossed in prison. Sometimes we've got to battle against the urge to be confused by immediate results. And Remember Job's friends? And all this calamity came to Job, and his so-called friends show up, and they begin firing accusations at him. You did this. You must have done this. There must be this hidden thing. None of that was true. But they were confused by the immediate results. Resist the urge to be confused by the immediate results. It may be you do the right thing and you lose a friend. You do a right thing and you lose the job. You do the right thing and you lose the contract. You do the right thing and instead of somebody applauding you, they begin to mock you, persecute you, resist the urge to be confused by the immediate results. Oswald Chambers put it this way, faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. Sometimes we we get it in our head that, well, if I walk in God's way, if I say no to this temptation, then it's going to be like uh, like lights and, and promotions and rewards and confetti and applause and all this. Not always. And in those moments, I have to resist the urge to be confused by the immediate results. Even when I don't understand what's going on or why it's going on, I have to trust in the character of God behind it. Resist the urge to be confused by the immediate results. One more. Rely on God's faithfulness. Rely on God's faithfulness. That whatever shape or form the temptation comes, however frequently it comes, however it seems like it's day after day after day after day, however different many angles it seems to take at you, rely on God's faithfulness. You trust in His character, you trust in His promise to meet you in the moment. And so many have been strengthened through the centuries with 1 Corinthians 10 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. I know we all think we're unique and we're different and we're special and our circumstances are just, are just worse than anybody else's, but no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you may be able to endure it you come face to face with temptation. Rely on God's faithfulness. Why am I talking about this in the context of living God's dream for your life? Because nothing will derail God's dream for your life more quickly than giving in to temptation. But can I also suggest to you, and maybe it should be point 11, nothing will help you To say no to temptation more than living God's dream for your life. Uh, Someone said the, the, the secret to no is a stronger yes. That when you have a greater yes, when you have a, a greater yes that you're pursuing, that empowers you to be able to say no. And so if we go back to chocolate cake that we talked about at the first, if, if you have a, a greater yes, an, an athlete in training, an athlete trying to be elite has this, this greater goal, this greater purpose, and so they start to say no to certain behaviors. They say no to certain things they're going to eat. They say no to certain times of going out at night or whatever so that they can say yes to fulfilling the dream. And so part of what enables me to say no, part of what will enable you to say no in the face of temptation is you are pursuing, you are living God's dream for your life. And that dream, that yes empowers you and enables you to say no to temptation because you know that nothing will derail God's dream for your life more quickly than giving in to temptation. So very often, the secret to saying no is having a greater yes. Let me leave you with one picture, literally. Not many of us probably have that plant in our backyard. It doesn't typically grow in this section of the world. But you might find it in abundance in the Australian bush country a little plant called the sundew sundew typically although there's some different varieties of it has that long slender plant and it has some of the of the leaves coming out has some some oftentimes bright petals kind of the hair like extensions there and on the end if you can kind of see in the close-up there just appears to be kind of almost little dew type drops water drops so sweet and so sticky and the sundew has these attractive flowers, has the little tentacles, the sweet sticky substance on the end, and it devours insects. And it does so as the hapless fly in this example, attracted by what it sees, attracted by the... Invitation of what looks delectable finds itself stuck. And that which they thought would bring them delight is actually going to bring them destruction. And as they begin to fight to get free of the, the sticky substance, the vibration signals the plant to close in around it. And it begins to roll it in. And ultimately devours the insect. It's a picture of temptation. Begins to look appealing. Maybe even sweet and satisfying. But when you meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way, what you find is it doesn't bring you freedom, it brings you imprisonment. It doesn't set you free, but it captures you. And if you're not careful, the more you begin to wrestle against it in your own strength, the more it begins to just wrap around you. And that which you thought would bring you delight ultimately begins to devour you. If you're going to live God's dream for your life, you're going to have to learn to say no to temptation. In order to say no to temptation, you have to have a bigger yes. Yes, God, I am pursuing your dream for my life. Let's go before Him together in prayer, please. All oh, Father, how we thank you <laughs> that you meet us every moment. How we thank you that you are greater than any temptation, any enemy, any any problem, any obstacle along the way. Father, thank you that you have dreams that you want to uh, live out in and through our lives, that there are things that you want to do in us, there are things that you want to set us free to be and do. There are lives that you want to impact through us and and father, those dreams may not seem significant in the eyes of the world, but they're significant in your eyes because they have come from you. And the world may never applaud us, may never Recognize us, may never remember our name, but Father, You know our name. You have named us. You have called us to Yourself. You have called us. You have purposes and plans and dreams for our life. And Father, I just pray anew and afresh, help us to settle for nothing less. And Lord, as we start to get serious about living Your dream for our life, there is an enemy who will not take pleasure in that, who will oppose that, at every intersection, who at times will harass and distract, and if we allow him, ultimately destroy. And so, Father, in these moments, would you help us to say yes to you so that we can say no to that which is less. As you just sit before the Lord in these last few moments that we have together in this room.